Thank you for tuning in to High Green, the official podcast of the Boston and Maine Railroad Historical Society. High Green is funded by your membership in the society, and any opinions expressed throughout the show are solely those of the owner. As always, if you'd like to learn more about our organization or join us, you can find our website, www.bmrrhs.org. Perhaps this story hasn't been told in B&M circles, but it's, it's a B&M story and it's a good one. Oh my God, he says, I don't think I ever saw a train down here before. <laughs> he was abused. I still had that wanderlust. I still want to go back railroading. As we head into the holiday season, be sure to check out our online store for all kinds of great Boston and Maine themed gifts. You can find things like our 16 ounce glasses emblazoned with the Minuteman logo, our discs including all editions of our magazine, the B&M Bulletin, up to 2020. We also have winter jackets, sweatshirts, hoodies, winter hats, baseball hats, t-shirts, and all kinds of great books and reading material, including our latest publication, Steam Trains of Yesteryear, The Monadnock Steamtown in Northern Story, which chronicles one of the earliest tourist railroad operations on Boston and Maine trackage. You can head right on over to our online store to find all of these and many more things for the Boston and Maine fan in your life. Or maybe even a little holiday gift for yourself. And from all of us here at the Boston and Maine Railroad Historical Society, we'd like to wish you a happy, safe, and healthy holiday season. Thank you so much for your support. You've seen these things from, from a motor car enthusiast perspective, but you've also seen a great deal of B&M history and, and some of these lines from, from the engineer seat and from working for the railroad. And, uh, you know, you got your, your railroad start working for short lines. And, um, you know, the White Mountain Branch is a great example of that with New England Southern. You ended up working for uh, Pete Dearness's New England Southern Railroad operating on the White Mountain Branch, the former White Mountain Branch, the Boston and Maine. Um, so that's kind of a, a perspective that you've been able to have as a hobbyist, an enthusiast, and a railroader. And how, how did you get involved with actual, you know, nuts and bolts railroading? So that's a that's a multi-part question, yeah. I, I, a multi-part answer. So I was in high school at the time, and I had I was in computer class, and I probably should have been paying attention more. But I was scrolling around the internet, and I saw the Seashore Trolley Museum had a junior motorman program yep. and basically what that was was you know young people are interested in running trolleys but don't meet the insurance requirement of being 18 to run a passenger service could come up volunteer uh they'd be get the same training yep. but just because of your age you couldn't do that uh with passengers but you would do yard moves you would help out you'd be a gopher mm-hmm. um so i was doing that um, also, when I was in high school, um, I got my neighbor's mail, who lives actually three doors down from here, uh, Gordon Wallach. And Gordy's a hell of a guy. He's like a second father to me. He really is. And, you know, I kept getting his mail and kept going down, hitting his mail. And I noticed he had the train on his, uh, on his mailbox there. And I talk about trains. And um, he's like, oh, yeah, you're the kid with that rail car down the street. So he said, one day, do you want to come for a cab ride? 
And I said, no, please, no. Yeah. Uh, so back in God, it was like 2001, I was still in high school. Um, and yeah. that picture right there with the 566 was from my first cab ride on the New England Southern. Yeah. Um, I was, that's when I first met Peter. Yeah. Um, and, you know, again, I was under 18. I was just kind of going for a cab ride. And I was actually lucky enough to go down to the other railroad that Gordy worked for a part time, the Quincy Bay Terminal. Yeah. Um, that's a, that's an interesting little operation down there. But I went for the cab ride down to Manchester. Um, in we did twenty five miles an hour. Yeah. In the in, in Pete's Blue Engine, the five sixty six, and I was just enamored by that. I mean, that was that was great. I loved it. Um, a lot different than the trolleys. Yeah. Um. So, you know, I continued to plunk along at the trolley museum. And as caboose trains came up, uh, Gordy would say, if he happened to be the engineer, hey, do you want to come for a ride along and, um, you know, kind of help out? Like, uh, you know, like throw a switch or stand here with a flag or just enjoy the experience. Um, You know, because when they did the switching up at Caboose Village, you know, just having a quasi trained experienced person to throw a switch i got that experience from seashores you know this is how you throw a switch this is how you flag a crossing type thing <clears throat> so as time went on i kept saying you know, i'd like to be an engineer i'd like to be an engineer and you know i was hanging around with uh, the you know when the caboose trains would happen yep. and finally gordy had said to me he's like listen down at four river we're hiring a full-time engineer um, and there's a lot of training that's involved because we're hiring this guy and we have to train him from, yeah. from scratch. He was, the guy had no railroad work experience prior. Uh, he's you know, off the street guy. We're, we're going to put him through the entire course. He's like, I talked to Peter. He is willing to let you do the ride time and the throttle time at New England Southern, yeah. but you have to do the classroom stuff elsewhere. And so happens you're willing to put in the time and drive to Quincy every day <clears throat> to do this on your own time and your own money. Yeah. Um, I will put you through the program. And I said, okay, I'll do that. Um, and I drove to Quincy every day through the Boston traffic yeah. on my, and this was back in 07, 08 when gas was, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, sh- you know, almost what it is today, but it was expensive. Um, and I was working at the time for an ambulance company. So um, I had five days a week off um, from, I'd work two days, but they have 24 hour shifts. So I had five days a week off to actually go do this. Yeah. Um, so I went to the program and then I had to do the throttle time, you know, observe time with an actual engineer. I was issued a student card. I went through all the, training. It was all done. NORAC signed off, engineer stuff signed off, driving records, everything in place. Um, And I would go from my house here in Danvers all the way up to Concord to go down and switch for an hour blue seal just to accumulate the hours. And it it seemed like at the time it took forever and it probably did. I have that log somewhere still the, all the observed hours that I had to get signed off on. Yeah. And I finally remember I went for my check ride down the Manchester in the 2370 by then. And that 
when I got back, I signed my card. It was like one of the greatest days. And I remember I, you know, I was so happy. Um, yeah, I worked for Peter part-time. Um, I also, cause you know, I was young with a gun and a new engineer's license. Yeah. I, I was like, I'm going to expand my, my roles here. And went down to mass coastal, um, and worked down there on the passenger and the freight trains. Right. Yeah. And I, that was actually my first taste of bigger railroading than New England Southern. Yeah. For um, sure. But you know, I, like I said, I put in the time and the money and the effort initially, and it's been rewarded that I get to work for New England Southern. Um, and I remember, you know, a lot of times just, you know, Pete call you last minute. Because uh, Pete would normally run or someone else would run. I was kind of like the third tier, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know. Right. Um, but, you know, Pete would have a meeting or a customer or he just couldn't get tied up in train service and I would get the phone call. Yeah. Um, and I remember that was a, such a privilege to do and go down to Manchester and, and we were hauling some big trains back then yeah. and they were heavy oh, yeah. with all the cement traffic. That that was some heavy traffic coming out of, up to Ramus kick. I mean, I'd be, you know, in the eighth notch Sanders on probably lighting fires all the way through Ramus keg, yeah. blowing the carbon out of that engine. Uh, but that thing could pull. That, oh, was, yeah. a, that was a great engine. Um, but yeah. It was just a great experience. And, you know, one of the things that you know relates to the Boston Maine is you'd see a lot of the signs of the B&M. Like yeah. The semaphore masts are still out there. Um, you know, pulling the caboose trains up at Northfield Yard with the freight house there. Um, some of that being some B&M vintage equipment. Yeah. Uh, some of those private buggies. Uh, that was just a great time. I mean, the, the caboose trains were always fun, except for one, like the Donna Party. Uh, <laughs> one New Year's Eve caboose train that probably should have sane people would have canceled, but we didn't. Right. Um, um, but uh, yeah, that was just that was a great time. And you know, obviously, after the lease was lost and we basically had evacuation day out of Concord, you know, it slowed down a little bit um, to what we have is 3M. And uh, you know, that's I, I got to applaud people like Peter. Uh, yeah. Number one, Peter is an absolute gentleman. Um, just a hell of a nice guy. <clears throat> and I, I mean, we, we, we bust his stones a little bit about the eternal rose colored glasses that he has, <laughs> but I'll tell you, if it was not for Peter, number one, I wouldn't have my start in rare. Yeah. Okay. I'd be sitting on the sidelines wanting to look in. Um, and, you know, I, I think Peter and I th- am thankful for the chance that, you know, he gave me my start. Yeah. He took the risk of, of saying, well, now I don't know who this kid really is. And, you know, but taking the risk on me and I, you know, very thankful for that. Yeah. Um, in that, you know, also I'm thankful for Peter and Ed Clark because if it was not for them, no. the, the white mountain division would look like the Northern does today. Yeah. Oh, for sure. It'd be gone. Yeah. If it, he hadn't come along in, in 82 and said, you know, I'm going to take the state online and operate it with more, you know, motivation and dedication than the previous, you know, leases. It wouldn't be there. It wouldn't be there. And, and yeah. if he hadn't started the original Winnipesaukee Railroad, because New England Southern, of course, started the original yeah. Winnipesaukee Railroad, the Clarks, who knows if the Clarks would have started the Hobo Railroad. And if they hadn't, then it would be gone. Yeah. And, you know, everybody out there taking pictures today of what we do at New England Southern should thank Peter yeah. for having the tenacious 
sometimes we call it foolhardy, but the tenacious spirit that he has and the dedication that he had that, you know, I mean, he, you know, we obviously was big traffic down to Manchester, but to continue after that on the White Mountain, to keep trying to find sources of traffic, which, I mean, he was at the retirement age. He could have said that, you know what, throw my hands up, I'm done. And, And he's still out there. He's still, you know, comes and shows up and, you know, still has an involvement to some degree in the new operation. Yeah. Um, and I think that's great. I, you know, in, in, like I said, if it was not for Peter and later Red Clark, we wouldn't have a white mountain branch to speak of nope. it, it. The state owned it. Two operators gave her the old swing and a miss, uh, you know, at the time. And obviously the economies are different yeah. back then. Um, but if it was not for people like Peter, it, it just, it, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't exist. It, it wouldn't be there. It's here somewhere, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny as you say, uh, you know, talk about synchronicities, you know. I was like me and like Bruce Davidson, you know, weird parallels in time that, you know, we, we both worked on short lines. Both were involved with somehow with the Wolfboro and New England Southern. Yeah. You, you know, yeah. just just weird the same with Brian. I mean, you know, on the Wolfboro, yep. on the White Mountain Branch. Uh, yeah, maybe that's that's the ladder you got to climb. I don't know. Well, that's the great thing about New England is that you know it's such a small world, and the railroad world is even smaller than that. You know, infinitely, and uh, that has certainly has its advantages when you think about uh, you know getting to know people and the stories, and then and then forming connections that you can you know use to build friendships and and preserve history. It's it's such a it's such a great community, and, and I think that's something that we're all super thankful for. I know Andrew, you had a question, kind of kind of geared towards um, the White Mountain Branch and New England Southern, and and into the future. Um, you know, Jesse's worked for New England Southern for a while and seen a lot of changes on New England Southern, and certainly New England Southern is something that's changing even now. Um, and you know, last time I think this was probably after you got booted off last time because of tech issues, but. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) We talked a little bit about the White Mountain Branch, not necessarily with the, you know, the VTR takeover, but more so, you know, how can um, New England Southern um, and and the state kind of recognize that the White Mountain Branch has a potential for sure in the future to be, you know, a viable freight option, um, you know, given that it goes up to the White Mountains, goes to the Lakes region, it's, you know, parallel to 93 uh, so that's kind of the direction we took that question last last time, you know, more broad towards its potential. And I don't know if you had, uh, you know, questions about that or, or thoughts about that or anything of that. Or to your point, Rick, like it seems like the White Mountains branch has been the line that has sort of risen from the ashes, almost, so to speak, like the Phoenix, you know, the late 70s. I think a lot of people were like, well, that's it. You know, it's going to just be another path in the woods, like the main line to Woodsville once was. But uh just to see it uh, resurrected and, you know, utilized for the purposes it is today. And, you know, even more recently, it's had a few, um, I guess I'll say uh, a few run-ins with potential rail trail groups, et cetera, you know, looking to utilize various parts of it for trails, et cetera. So it's kind of had to, it's had to be a pretty resilient little line. And, you know, uh, sounds like uh, Peter Dearness really, takes so much of the credit for keeping this line just up and running. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think, you know, 
without giving out the 11 herbs and spices of <laughs> uh, Vermont Rail's plans, um, I think the future's bright uh, up there. Uh, I, I think we are learning from our 150 or so years of history, yeah. <clears throat> uh, the mistakes that have been made, um, you know, in the past. And, you know, but I've, I've also said before, New Hampshire, and mostly New England, but especially in the micro sense, New Hampshire, on the I-93 corridor, uh, they really need to decide politically, like, which way are they going to go? Um, you know, is it going to be a business-friendly state or is it going to continue to push out small business that in, in industry? A lot of groups want rail, 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 rail. Oh, we got to bring trains back. No, you need to bring industry back. Yeah. Railroads do not operate in a vacuum of space. We are very happy to serve an industry. Uh, we just need the industry to come back. Um, and whether that's done at the ballot box by local zoning, by the you know industrial development, um, you know we in the railroad world we are constantly fighting subsidized competition. Yeah, um, it's always a constant battle. Trucks, for the simple fact, do not pay their fair share. Right. Other than you know, the, the trucks pay a fuel tax, um, and if it's, it happens to be a toll road. They pay a toll, but that is so inconsequential compared to the cost that a railroad has to pay for a hundred percent of its own maintenance, yeah. its own snow clearing and upkeep, uh, its own ma maintenance of equipment. Yeah, uh, you know, a lot of times trailers are a pool trailer, and you know, the individual trucking isn't paying for the maintenance of that. Right. Um, you know, and you know, we have to the railroad industry fight that um and it's it's not just new hampshire this is you know, oh, yeah. around the world um trains have some disadvantages um some of it's self-imposed yeah uh some of it is is the nature of the beast um but you know we are looking at in this country rising fuel costs we are making the push to be more cognizant of our environment. And I think, at least to me, rail is the most sensible option. Uh, we've come to be somewhat of an instant gratification society, you know, point and click on Amazon, it's here tomorrow. Uh, and you wonder ultimately what, what is the long cost of that? Yeah. Um, you look at traffic on 93, it's, uh, you know, there's definitely the playing on the strengths of what the railroad can offer. Uh, transloading yeah. is one of those amazing strengths is, you know, you don't need to have a property abutting a railroad, right. uh, be it ours or anyone else's. Yeah. Uh, that's a great strength of a transload operation is you can use the speed and frequency of a truck to serve your factory um, or your industry, but you don't need to be touching the tracks. Yeah. Because um, I understand something. it's impractical. Right. To do that everywhere uh, that's a great use of a railroad mm -hmm. be it ours or someone else's um you know if you look at mass central um yeah. it, along the line i mean they have numerous transload operations over there and that's a fantastic use of the railroad mm -hmm. um you know you fill up the rail car you empty the rail car at the industry's leisure and you bring a string of cars out 
And a class one is more than happy to take a long string of cars from A to B. Yeah. They don't want to deal with the switching. And that's a perfect use of a short line. Yeah. I think, I think one thing that, you know, New Hampshire really never grasped in, in the wake of the B&M railroad in its bankruptcy was, yeah, okay. The B&M wants to get rid of these rural branch lines. Cause you know, it's not profitable to run, you know, 20 miles to Epping with a single car feed, you know, but how do we take these railroad lines that still connect major population centers and make them viable, you know, for transload freight. We can be the hubs in the connecting between the spokes. Right. Um, right. Manchester had an intermodal yard. When yeah. you when you think of what we've thrown away, right? We had an intermodal yard in Manchester, New Hampshire, the largest populated city in the state. Yep. All right. You have an intermodal yard right in the middle of it. Imagine what could be done if you were spotting trailers there today. And not tying up traffic on 93. Yeah, you know, they, they do it in air and they truck them up, but there you go. They're tying up the, uh, the traffic on 93. Yeah, it, you, <laughs> you know, and the solution is to build another lane on the highway that's already full. Already full with trucks. Yeah. And, you know, that's the thing is that, you know, the railroad, you know, the railroad's purpose in serving these small, you know, customers directly, it, it hasn't died completely, but it certainly is diminished. You know, when you think about mom and pop grain stores and all this stuff, but the railroad still has a, a role to play in connecting these large communities. And, and like you said, being the hub, you know, the railroad will bring the, the raw materials to Concord or Canterbury. And then you put it on a truck there and you bring it to places like Belmont and Bristol and, and, you know, way out in, in the Western part yeah. of the state. And you have that in some places, you know, North Walpole, New Hampshire, you have propane transload, all the towns around, you know, North Walpole, all those small little communities like unity and, 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 and Sullivan, you know, they get their stuff out of North Walpole, New Hampshire. Well, wouldn't it have made more sense to, to have your transload in Keene, New Hampshire? <laughs> yep. Have your propane transload in downtown Keene. You take the, you take the propane to Winchester and Swansea and, and have that railroad get you to a certain point. And then when it's not feasible to run trains further than that, you use your trucks. Uh, and it, it's just like I say, it, we obviously had an oversaturation of branch lines oh, in, in New England in yeah. general. Oh, yeah. We think of all the customers along that line. Yeah. Uh, the mills, um, you know, we, there's so much potential now. Uh, what we can sell you is service. Yep. We cannot sell you a direct class one connection over our line exclusively to Omaha, Nebraska. We can't. It just it doesn't it doesn't exist. What we can sell you is that the manager of a plant knows the conductor's name, knows them by face. Yep. They're on a you know a first name basis, and when he needs a car spotted in a certain area because they're doing something. He can just ask and yeah. it'll get done. He can call a local manager. He can call us. He can, uh, you know, they could call Peter and say, listen, we got this issue. Uh, you know, organic business development uh, with like the military train. That was because, you know, someone in the in the guard talked to Peter. Yeah, right. You know, that wasn't that, the, you know, the, the Pentagon thought of this. This was organic business development by Peter when he was running the operation. Yeah. And you know, you're not going to get that with CSX or Union Pacific or BNSF or any alphabet soup um, right. railroad. You're going to get that with a local short line. Yeah. And the fact that you know we're we're keeping the heritage of the Boston and Maine alive uh, is fantastic, and that we're using the track for what it was intended for. Yeah. Um, and that you know we're. You know, yeah, without giving out the 11 herbs and spices of what's going on, um, you know, I, I think the future is bright. Yeah. And we all know that the 
dynamic of New England railroading in general oh, yeah. is going to change in a way we can't still fathom. No. Uh, nobody knows. Right. Some of the stuff I hear, you know, oh, yeah. working for the railroad and people like want to confirm this thing they heard on online about you. And it's like, that's not even close yeah, to reality. It's not, it's not going to happen. No, but I, th- I think from the observations that you've made working for New England Southern and, 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 you know, the role that it has to play as, as a strategic, you know, piece of the former DNM that's still there for a reason and still has mm-hmm. a viable purpose. And, you know, it certainly can be important in the modern day, not just from a historical sense, but for, for an actual utilitarian sense. I think that's uh, that's something that that hopefully will aid its future and keep it alive. You know, it's an interesting thing to look at the Boston and Maine and look at what the Boston and Maine was, what the Boston and Maine is, and what the Boston and Maine is going to be into the future. And I, I think kind of looking at all this as as a, as people that have always been looking backwards at the BNM, um, you know, we can tell how New England has been affected by the BNM. How it was affected, how it's being affected now, but I think you know, as post B and M individuals, all three of us, for the most part, I, I think we have to look at the ways in which you know the B and M has influenced ourselves in our own lives, and and certainly for you, having you know grown up, you know, becoming a part of railroading through your exposure to the former B and M directly, and then you know becoming involved with its history directly. Um, certainly you've had a lot of influence in your life from the Boston and Maine and, and from its remnants. And, and what are some of the things that it's given you and some of the things that it's brought to your life um, in those ways? Well, it's, you know, it's never far from me. Um, number one, I mean, I, I own a second rail car that was, was a delivered in 1957 to the Boston and Maine. Yeah. It's sitting out in my backyard. I have switch stands from the, you know, the B and M physically is never far from me. I mean, my house looks like a railroad museum, <laughs> you know, especially in the backyard. But yeah. where the track cars are stored, but um, I've never lost the wonder that the B and M created through those pictures and those books. Um, you know, a lot of times I'll be going down the track and I just, you know, wonder what it would have been like to be in a, you know, a Pacific locomotive or consolidation, you know, trundling down this line at 60 miles an hour. Um, And that, that spirit, I think is still there. I mean, you know, you can see the semaphores that, um, you know, you look at an old photograph and you look at now and you're like, wow, this was that spot. This is where this happened. Yeah. Um, You know, and as far as that's my, my personal thing, but be the being I'm done for me and my, my, my outside life is uh well you know camaraderie yeah a lot of great people are in this hobby uh or, or you know we at the historical society be it cotton valley be it the, the railroad connections mm-hmm. um i mean we and I, I take a little bit of uh pride in this you know when we run in new england southern maybe it's because we only run so infrequently i don't know um but you know every time we run we're saying it's something special. I mean, it's like the, it's like the circus came to town, yeah. you know, and uh, right. you, you talk to the people, you see people you haven't seen in a while, kind of in the caboose trains. That was a great thing to do. Yeah. Um, and if the b didn't exist, then I wouldn't be sitting here today and we wouldn't have this interview. Yeah. And I think what the, ultimately what the, you know, to go forward is, you know, people like you, like James, like Andrew, 
that are bringing the Boston and Maine to the modern day. So there's a little bit of a confession. I've been a member about a year of the historical society. Um, you know, I was aware it existed. Um, you know, I was, I knew of it and I knew they put out a, a, a magazine once in a while. Yeah. And I always remember that the cover was never related to anything in the book. Um, <laughs> That's so true. Well, <laughs> yeah. It's about some damn project or something like that. Yeah. And, uh, I was probably, you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit of a joke. I was probably like, I never had much connection to it. And because like, it was the meetings were held in Lowell. Yeah. Um, I have no ever reason to go to Lowell uh, ever. Yeah. I rode the trolleys there once, got the t-shirt, moved on. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I saw the 410 once. I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Took a picture in the snow and it's somewhere in my archive. And, you know, I don't go to Lowell. Yeah. You know, I never had much of a connection. And then COVID came. And I saw the work sure, yeah. with the Minuteman tales yep. um, going, wow, this is, this is a really interesting little vignette of like a piece of history presented in a very professional manner and, and very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, like the one in Plymouth, you know, right. Yeah. You know, President Pierce was there. Um, you know, I've been on the same rails with my motor car that the president has been on, oh, yeah. you know, and that's, yeah. Livermore Falls. I mean, that, what was there, um, you know, yeah. in the bringing of that knowledge forth? And that's one reason like, I like, you know, and I, I tell you this all the time, it's, it's so much respect is I can show you a picture of some random spot and you know, <laughs> the guy that was probably in the picture, the locomotive, where that line ran. And, you know, you're able to tell me that and you weren't alive. Right. <laughs> you had to learn that at some point. Yeah, too much time on our hands. Yeah. It's true. It's but, true. Yeah. You know, you, that, that's not uh, crystallized knowledge in your brain. You, that's fresh. You had to learn that at some point. And that's what I, the, the, the work that you guys have done, and that's what got me to join the, the, the Historical Society, is that I now have a connection because I could see where my $50, $55, whatever it is, is going to. Is wow, these guys are putting out this great content, um, this podcast. I mean, hearing an interview from someone that was working in 1917 yeah. or Major Greeno, like we was working around this area on steam locomotives. If you guys hadn't done this, this all would be lost. Yeah. And, and you know, that's I, I've, I've only been part of the society now for three, three years, maybe. And it's like you said, I mean, it's something I was always aware of. I mean, you see them at the shows with the, with the tables and their hats and their shirts and, and you see some familiar faces, but, but to join the society and get involved with it and, and to work through the archives and to do the newsletter and to, to work with James on Minuteman Tales and, and, and Andrew on the podcast and, and to do these things and take the BM that we know and love and find a way to make it fresh and, and accessible for people. That's, the goal with this is how do you take this thing that we know and love and that people that, because the guys that, that saw it, they love it because they know they knew it. Mm-hmm. They, they, know, they love it because they saw it. But how are you going to make some, some five-year-old kid born in 2015 in 10 years care about Livermore Falls right. you know, or anything like this? How are you going to, you know, we're only getting further removed from the B&M. Someday the B&M is going to be to people in the future what the East Branch and Lincoln was. Yeah. And it's just been so rewarding to learn more about the railroad and learn more about the people 
and to dig out these tapes from, from 40 years ago that were recorded with guys that were working in 1917 and, and say, there's somebody out there that's going to be interested in this yeah, and I, that we have to get it out there. And that's, that's the goal. And that's the, and that's what we've been doing. And that's honestly the most fun is just how can we, how can we deliver this in a way that people are going to enjoy? And there's, we are on the cusp of so much institutional knowledge yep. disappearing oh, yeah. within the next couple of three years. Hmm. Uh, you know, as a side note, like there's a, a society down in Connecticut uh, that deals with antique tractors and machinery. But I mean, there was a guy down there. Uh, in his, I think he's probably passed away by now. But he was in his late 90s when I was there. And this gentleman was able to even at 95 yeah. swing around a bucket loader, uh, you know, a, a steam shovel, diesel power, but you know, a steam shovel effortlessly with clutches and just brakes. Like it was an extension of his arm. Yeah. And they had the forethought to sit him down and put a camera in front of him and say, talk. Yep. Mark asking questions. Tell me everything, you know? Yeah. And you know, this is great that this, knowledge uh you know is being spread um you know oral histories like this i mean the minute details on important i mean the incantation of the word right. and spelling is uh, so much more uh, important yeah. um you know and we're able to pass this on to somebody else someday that someday in the future someone's going to be really bored for two hours listening to this podcast um but it's here the story's here. The yeah. story's out. Major, I would never even know that existed. Yeah. Uh, had I, I didn't either. Had I, even if I was a member of society, yeah. had you guys yeah. not taken the time in, in the effort to put that forward, I wouldn't know it existed. Right. Looking through the archives online of the stuff you can actually see on the website, there's some fascinating things on it. I wouldn't even think of. Yeah. You know, valuation maps of, of long gone branch lines that just, there's a siding you didn't know existed. Yeah, there it is. You know, that's when it was torn out. That's when that's what customer it served. The the work that you guys are doing is important not only for the BM, but also for the ages. I mean, that is, is what it is. Yeah. You know, this piece of fabric of our railroad history in our was very interwoven in the life in New England, especially when the railroads was a was a big employer, yeah. which not so much now, but you know, when everybody worked for the BM or had a relative that did. That slice of history, our very important history, yep. is being preserved and passed on. Where otherwise, if it was not for this work, it would be gone. Yeah, yeah, and it's and it's you know it's the only way we're going to experience it. You know, looking at those those slides of of the Portsmouth branch, I'm never going to see a train in Epping. Nope. But if I look at these slides, there it is. You know, and uh -huh. I know Andrew, for you, your big thing is going out and actually going to these places physically and getting that connection and and you know you know, through your, your pieces in the newsletter, you've kind of done the same thing where, you know, say, Hey, I, I do this. Why don't you go out and walk this right away and look at this piece of history that I've, I've located and found. And, you know, 50 years from now, people are going to look at, at those articles and go, Oh, Hey, he went here. I'm going to go see if it's still there. You know, it's, it's just going to push it forward for new generations that are going to really be hard pressed to have resources in the future. Because if you think about it, we're at a transition point right now. You know, 20 years ago, you had guys that were alive that worked on steam engines. Nowadays, the BM has been gone for almost yeah. 40 years. 
we're at a point now where people that actually worked for the Boston and Maine Railroad are becoming, unfortunately, few and far between. So right now we're at a transition point again, and constantly you have these transition points. But if you're able to go out and put the work in, you know, it's going to have an effect someday. We're going to be enjoying, they're going to be enjoying what we're doing now just as much as people enjoyed, you know, interviews with guys that worked for the, the B&M and the steam era. And you, you sit there and go, my God, I mean, they run so few trains today because if there's these separations and PTC and there's not enough capacity, I mean, you look at with the, the, a third of the, a quarter of the technology that we have available today, oh, yeah. they were running extras, work extras, uh, track gangs, you know, local freights, express freights, hot freight, uh, you know, local passenger, you know, uh, name trains, all in the same line. Oh, yeah. And I said, a quarter of the technology we have available today. Right. Exactly. I mean, we can tell today um, where a locomotive is down to the foot. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, when I was on Mass Coastal, there was a group actually from Harvard uh, there and also MIT and a few other colleges that were initially working on the PTC. Like, was GPS more reliable or AEI tag screwed to the ties more reliable? This is like way back when, but they were trying to eliminate the two. And we were actually using Hyannis Yard with two locomotives. Just just on, you know, isolated track. We'd taken the track out of service, just running back and forth to test those two things. And the work they were doing was actually pretty fascinating with that, those computers. But we have this available and we're not using it. Yeah. You know, we have to have these, you know, uh, hour separation between trains. Right. Between passenger and why? Yeah, we lost a lot of the jobs, a lot of the skills. And, you know, it's just, it's interesting that, you know, we, we just need to be sure that we don't lose the same amount of history. Oh, no. It, know, it, if we it, lose the same amount of history as the railroads that we've lost, you know, we're, we're in big, big, big trouble. And I think the fact that all three of us have an invested interest and there's so many like us and there's young people now that, you know, are, are getting interested in trains. I think that, you know, just, you got to get involved somehow. And, and, you know, it's so rewarding if you do, and, uh, and hopefully you'll be able to pick up the same things that we all have. You know? And, you know, I, I always say, I, I don't think railroading, kept me out of trouble. I was always kind of on the straight and narrow anyway, but I mean, my God, I mean, you got someone that's young and enthusiastic and wants to get into the railroad business or maybe consider it as a, as a career. And, you know, there's that, that book, the proximity principle that people talk about, but it's really the whole idea is if you want to be in a business, if you want to be a cook, yeah. don't work at Walmart. Right. You know, if you want to be a chef, talk to chefs. Yeah. If you know, I want to be in the railroad business. I talk to people in the railroad business. And, you know, some people say I'm lucky that I get the deal that I did and everything with my engineer's license and, you know, with, with Peter. But, you know, there's no such thing as luck. Luck is the intersection of preparation and opportunity. Yep. And I had the opportunity to do that. And I took advantage of that opportunity because and I prepared for it. Yeah. Uh, you know, through doing the, the the simple things at Seashore as a junior modeman, throwing switches, greasing loops, counting up the Northern Southern just as a volunteer, yeah. helping out, throwing switches, being around, FaceTime. I don't think railroading is like a, a glamorous career like that, you know, young men want to do. They see that roaring steam locomotive going by. Oh, that's gone. You know, that, that you know, when the jet age came, we were second rate. I mean, look at Lionel Trains, right? Right. Um, but it's, it's a good job. Um, 
you have to, as a rail fan, you have to realize the difference between an obligation and a passion. Yeah. Um, you know, winter railroading is not the postcard it seems to be. And, you know, as a rail fan, you can stay home and just, you know, stay in your house. And right. the railroad, you got to go out and deal with that stuff. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's also a job that's not for everybody. I mean, some people want to go work for the railroad. They want to be the engineer. They want to do this. They want to do that. As I said, hang around these people. Yeah. Say, hey, I mean, it's tough with cab rides and stuff nowadays, but, um, you know, get a sense of the job mm -hmm. uh, before you commit to signing up for a conductor's class at whatever class one, because you think it's for you. Yeah. Um, you know, you are away from home a lot. I mean, I only do this, you know, the sun's only really a part-time job for me. I have, I have a day job, but you know, even then part-time, sometimes it gets to be tough to balance yeah. full-time job, family that is in, you know, if you're, if you're working for the railroad, and that's your sole thing. You are at the beck and call of the company. Right. Um, and it's going to take a while before you build seniority, yeah. depending on when you got in. Um, and that, that job is not for everybody, especially in the transportation side. I mean, maintenance away management are a little bit different. You're a little bit closer to home and home every night. But, um, you know, they, they say you live together as a crew, you die together as a crew. Right. I mean, I, I rely on the conductor to do the right thing. Yeah. Um, we spend a lot of time with each other, uh, you know, so, you know, but this is the right job for us. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're a young person, you want to get into professional railroading, you know, think long and hard before you sign on the daughter, like joining the army, think long and hard before you want to do it because it's a great rewarding profession and you'll meet a lot of great people, mm -hmm. but it's very demanding. Oh yeah. You know, if you're, if you're a young guy and you're, you're sir or a woman, and you're single, you don't have any family obligations, this might be the time to jump in. Whereas if you're later in life, mm -hmm. you have a wife, kids, probably not the best time to jump both feet into the yeah. into the pond. Um, and that's not just the, the many particular railroad, that's every oh, single yeah, railroad. For sure. I agree with everything you guys were saying about how important it is that we now are trying to you know, archive and catalog as much as the information that we can because you know, as Rick, I think you said, we're only getting further and further away from the Boston and Maine, you know, and I mean, the as each generation passes, it's going to become more and more sort of mythology versus actual fact. And to have these actual facts and, you know, articles and podcasts and everything recorded for the future generations to go back and reference, I mean, that's going to that's going to be invaluable to like some young kid today who 20 years from now is going to become a real BM fan they're gonna need these resources to help their own uh, knowledge base yeah absolutely it's, it's funny actually i um i was just looking at um this this book that was written in the 1860s where this photographer went around and took pictures of surviving american revolution veterans and interviewed them and took their picture and there was only like four or five guys left but he went around one of them was actually from uh from maine and to see the pictures of these guys that had fought in the revolution and hear their stories and you know this is right during the civil war right this was pretty incredible and that's that's something i think that people have recognized for a long time is that you know when you're in the midst of history if you're interested in history don't just look look backwards 
you know, you make history in the moment too, because what, what we're looking at now may be boring and mundane to us, but, you know, in 50 to 70 years, it's going to be priceless to other people. And, and that's, that's something that we forget. Yeah. And I, I always say it, it's nice to have a hobby and um, be able to interact with other people. Uh, and I think that's one thing that the society could offer is someone is interested in, you know, helping out with the archives, uh, helping out with just standing at a table at a show. Uh, that's, that's an important thing to do. Um, and it, you know, it's a good group of people. Uh, same with Cotton Valley, same with anyone in the, in the, in the, I found in the gen, the general railroading sense, um, you know, if someone pretends that, you know, they're not in the trains and they work for a railroad, they're lying. <laughs> you're the rail fan or you're a liar. If you work for a railroad, you, you have to like this job and like trains it to, and I, I'm to the same degree, but you know, you have to have some kind of interest because there's other things you can go make money at in yeah. the world. Um, but you know, I, I, I'm, I'm very happy that at least in this sense, this information is being preserved. And my story yeah. now is it, it belongs to the society and, you know, maybe someone else could relate to that further on. Yeah. And, you know, just hearing people that have long passed, yeah. you know, hearing the stories of them going to work every day, which like I said, it, it sounds boring and mundane. Uh, you know, listen to Major Greeno talk about, how you know he was hustling locomotives, which is a, a very boring thing, yeah. uh, and you know setting handbrakes. And here we are, years and years and years later, listening to it. Oh, <laughs> this, is so this is this is great. Yeah, exactly. Um, so you know, I I hope that this continues, uh, not only with the society, but you know, with all these old timers that we have. There's so much knowledge that they have. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, I always said, you know, my other job, I, I deal with elders uh, in an official capacity. And I always said, if I was governor, I would not approve any money for a school to be built unless there's a senior center inside. Mm -hmm. We throw away so much knowledge with our, our seniors. Yeah. And, you know, we need in every hobby, especially the B&M, to put a camera in front of these people before they're gone yeah. and it's not an option anymore and just stick a camera or a microphone in front and say, just talk, yep. tell me your stories. Yeah. And that's what you guys are doing. And I think that's a, a great, great thing. That yeah, we certainly appreciate you for a second time, <laughs> allowing <laughs> us to listen to your story and to contribute to it and to, uh, to pick your brain a little bit about everything that the B&M and railroading has done for you and, and that you've done for it. So, on behalf of all of us, we really thank you for, for coming out and letting us do this. And uh, we hope everybody's going to enjoy it just as much as we did. Well, thank you, Rick, for having me. And, um, you know, I, I hope that this program continues on and we can record a lot of, lot of great information yeah. for the future. That wraps up this week's episode of High Green. If you'd like to be on the show or know somebody who might have some interesting stories about the Boston and Maine Railroad or its legacy, please reach out to us. You can email us at bmrrhs at gmail.com or send us a message right on Facebook. Thanks so much for listening, and we hope to have you back next time for some more great stories about the Boston and Maine Railroad and its legacy right here in New England.